Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're starting out the week the smart way by joining us here on the Three Martini Lunch. Seriously, glad you're with us. Your stool is ready. Good, bad, crazy martinis for you today. Although the first one, Jim, I'm not sure how good it is, honestly. But we'll talk about it again. It's Andrew Cuomo. Two more accusers. That is certainly not good news. Uh, New York uh, Post is where I'm reading this from. The Washington Post had the story of the two additional accusers. Uh, It would appear the more serious of the two is a former press aide named Karen Hinton. This is back when he was uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the later stages of the Clinton administration, so a little over 20 years ago. Uh, Former press aide Karen Hinton endured, quote, a very long, too long, too tight, too intimate embrace from Cuomo in a dimly lit Los Angeles hotel room, she told the Washington Post. The married Hinton pulled away, but, quote, he pulls me back for another intimate embrace. I thought at that moment it could lead to a kiss. It could lead to other things. So I just pull away again and I leave. A Cuomo rep strongly denies the allegation, saying, quote, this did not happen. The Post also points out that Hinton's claims are made all the more startling, given that her husband is lobbyist Howard Glazer, a longtime Cuomo ally and confidant who worked as his director of state operations and senior policy advisor until 2014. The other uh, allegation comes to us from a woman named Anna Liss, I think I'm saying that correct, uh, called her sweetheart, asked if she had a boyfriend, asked if she was dating, touched her on her lower back during an event. Uh, The Cuomo team says that's nothing more than common behavior during a public function. However, uh, the latest uh, allegations have led state Senate Majority Leader and Democrat Andrea Stewart-Cousins to call for Cuomo's resignation. She had said a few days ago that if there were any more, she would do that. So she's following through on that. Uh, A handful of mayoral candidates down in New York City have also uh, joined the chorus as well. Cuomo not budging, though. He had a press call yesterday saying that uh, he is not going anywhere. He says there are some legislators who suggest that I resign because of accusations that were made uh, against me. I was elected by the people of the state. I wasn't elected by politicians. I'm not going to resign because of allegations. So, Jim, um, it would appear, at least in normal circumstances, that the walls are closing in with so many Democrats calling for his resignation. But uh, who knows these days, especially in a state as deep blue as New York. What do you make of uh, the growing chorus here? And what do you make of uh, Cuomo's ongoing defiance? If people want to say that today's good martini comes with an asterisk and it's not quite as good as we'd like it to be to, you know, come on here one day and say, great news, Andrew Cuomo has stepped down and resigned in disgrace. Yeah, it's not that. That said, the Albany Times Union calling for him to resign and the New York State Senate Majority Leader saying Cuomo must resign, that's not nothing. That's that's something that they would rather not do. And this is almost, if you are a Cuomo critic in New York City, this is pretty close to quote-unquote victory conditions. This is about as good as you're going to get because there's this universal rule in politics. We've seen it with Trump. We've seen it with Clinton. We've seen it in our home state of uh, Virginia with Ralph Northam. When a member of a political party sees their leader accused of something, doing something wrong, something wrong and consequential, the first defense is always, he didn't do it. Well, in this case, no one is any. No one is still making this argument. Andrew Cuomo didn't do it. The next defense is, well, he did it, but it's not that bad. Well, that has fallen apart in the past week, and now it's like, well, he did it, and it is that bad, and we think he should resign. 
And of course, he won't resign. The, the next step was, okay, he did it, and we get the votes to impeach him or remove him, and I don't know if it'll reach that point. I think there's the, there's, we've now reached the point where state lawmakers are not afraid to call upon his resignation. The next question will be, will they reach the point where they are not afraid to take steps to remove him from office? And that is another big step, and I'm not sure we're going to get there. That having been said, I think it's now safe to say Andrew Cuomo is now indefensible. Uh, everybody who was singing his praises, everybody who was uh, convinced, they were calling themselves homosexuals and all that stuff. Like, I believe Trevor Noah did a segment making fun of people who were in love with Andrew Cuomo, ignoring the fact that he had done all kinds of segments that were gushing over what a great job Andrew Cuomo was doing in 2020. Uh, the, the collective memory hole on this one is going to be like a black hole that simply uh, sucks all knowledge and information and memory right into it and all that stuff. But... Um, Look, this is not where Cuomo wanted to be. This is not where New York Democrats wanted to be. And this is not where a lot of mainstream media allies of Andrew Cuomo wanted to be. So the fact that this has built up this much momentum this fast does represent something of a good martini for the day. I believe it was last week, Jim, you were talking about the Ralph Northam factor where everybody calls on him to resign. And then he's like, yeah, not going to do that. And everybody goes, OK. So... I, I mean, I, I am not keen enough on New York politics to do a head count here and which Democrats are willing to go to the mat to, to deal with this uh, and which ones aren't. But I would point out, and I don't know anything about the lieutenant governor, except that she's a Democrat. I think her name's Kathy Hochul. But as far as I know, she doesn't have the baggage that the, uh, the, the folks who would have replaced Ralph Northam in line of succession had. So uh, how long does this uh, issue twist in the wind for New York Democrats? Do they hope it goes away just like Cuomo does? Or do they actually do something about it? Uh, I, I would say look for the Torricelli threshold, which is to say the moment the Democrat might lose the, the seat, then all of a sudden it becomes a crisis. Then all of a sudden it becomes, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. now we've got to get in a change. We can't have this guy running for re-election. I don't know if Cuomo's going to – he's not up for re-election until 2022. I believe that would be a fourth term, and that would be, you know – was Pataki there four terms? I think there was only three. Three, yeah. Yeah, it's like this. So it's not it was not a guarantee he was going to run for re-election. As is the most, you know, uh, the most convenient escape route for him might be to say that he's going to not going to run for another term and to, you know, let the anger die down. Not the fact that Ralph Northam can't run for another term helped, you know, insulate him a great deal from a lot of Democrats who might have been uh, more upset with him. Um, by the way, just yeah, one last note, Greg. Just the observation that like. Isn't it kind of bewildering how much sexual harassment has turned into the, okay, this is it, he's got to go, and not the giant pile of dead bodies of senior citizens, which, you know, I think sexual harassment is very bad, but I think putting infected people back into nursing homes is a more consequential error in judgment. Thousands of people dead, I would agree, is more significant. Uh, Your mileage may vary, I don't know, but uh, that's certainly... Where I come down, and uh, as we said last week, maybe they're focusing on this as a convenient way to avoid the other. But uh, we'll find out. Uh, But, Jim, uh, it's amazing how fast stuff turns. I mean, Ralph Northam is actively being sought out by Democrats running for statewide office for endorsement these days. I mean, it's it's crazy. And at the legislative level as well. So the idea that he's still deeply tarnished by, well, the fact that he deeply tarnished his face in his uh, medical school yearbook. Uh, or was under the sheets, either one, uh, seems to have pretty much uh, lost much impact politically, even though he's not on the ballot. Like you said, that's probably a good thing. But uh, people people want to be affiliated with him again just a couple of years later. It's amazing. Yeah, keep in mind, though, Greg, that, that Northam does have a really broad appeal. 
Um, he appeals to people who wear blackface. He appeals to people who wear Klan hoods. And just judging by the highest level elected Democrats in the state, that's like two thirds of all Democrats. <laughs> well, considering how many people had to scramble to say, yeah, I did this too, uh, back at, at, during that scandal a couple of years ago, uh, not surprised that uh, it's, it's been put by the wayside, at least at this point. We'll see what happens. After he leaves office and, and whether he's considered a pariah then. But at this point, it certainly doesn't look that way. But uh, let's talk about some really good news. And whether you've gotten used to working at home or you're back in the office part-time or full-time now, uh, let's face it, you don't want to spend a lot of time standing in line at the post office. And the best part is you don't have to. We recommend Stamps.com, mailing and shipping online. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters and packages and pay a lot less with discounted rates from UPS, the U.S. Postal Service, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices or an online seller that's got to ship out orders, or even if you're a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's just that simple. And with Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off of post office rates and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder that nearly one million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. No risk, and with our promo code 3Martini, all one word, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. That's Stamps.com, promo code 3Martini. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini, and this could end up being a very bad martini. Uh, on Saturday, the Senate passed its version of a COVID relief bill. Uh, it passed along party lines. Somebody wasn't there. It was 50 to 49, but uh, no Republicans voted for it and no Democrats voted against it. And uh, now the question becomes, well, what happens on these other pieces of legislation that the Democrats desperately want to get done but don't have a budgetary component to them? How are they going to get past the filibuster? They're going to need to win over 10 Republicans. Well, Joe Manchin's getting a little bit wobbly. He was on a lot of Sunday morning shows yesterday, and uh, he was talking here with Chuck Todd and the issue of potentially using reconciliation, meaning you don't need 60 votes to advance the bill. You just need a simple up or down vote could be used for other bills like the voting bill. Well, I'm not going to change my mind on the filibuster. I will change my mind if we need to go to a to a reconciliation to where we have gotcha. to get something done once I know they have process into it. But I'm not going to go there until my Republican friends have the ability to have their say also. And he also talked about perhaps changing what the filibuster is back to the talkathon version rather than just failing to invoke cloture at 60 votes. Would you consider going back to the old filibuster, sort of like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and Jimmy yeah. Stewart, where you want a filibuster, it's not an automatic 60 votes, you got to stay on the Senate floor and keep talking. 
The filibuster should be painful. It really should be painful. And we have we've made it more comfortable over the years, not intentionally. Maybe it just evolved into that. Maybe it has to be more painful. Maybe you have to stand there. There's things we can talk about. That second clip was from Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. So, Jim, I'm kind of a big fan of the talkathon filibuster, but it's funny how this never came up before. And of course, talkathons eventually end and you get to have your vote. So with issues like uh, this voting bill that would basically strip states of a lot of their control of their own elections, the Equality Act coming up and lots of other big priority items for the Democrats that make us shudder. uh, The fact that Manchin's getting wobbly here is reason for concern. Yeah, and let's observe that this exact scenario in which the COVID relief bill passes with only Democratic votes and not uh, any Republican ones. Interestingly, they obviously said the, the 50 to 49 vote, they didn't need Kamala Harris to be the tiebreaker. Back on February 2nd, Groundhog Day, he said, what I have told everybody, I made it very clear from the president of the United States to all my colleagues, we're going to make this work in a bipartisan way. My friends on the other side are going to have input and we're going to do something we agree on. He says, so they can count on me to make sure everything I do, I, I do everything to make sure this is done bipartisan. Spoiler alert, it was not bipartisan. And let's just observe that, like, if you put together a spending bill and you can't get Susan Collins and you can't get Lisa Murkowski to jump on board, to say nothing of anybody else, then it's a pretty darn partisan spending bill. And that there was, I have a corner post coming through on some of the spending and it's just ridiculous. Like, you might say some of these things are good. And like, okay, preview here. Uh, 3.5 billion goes towards fighting AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Well, AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria are bad. I, I, I believe the U.S. should support, you know, uh, support the global fund to fight those diseases. I'm, I'm fine with that, but that really seems like the sort of thing you should do through regular appropriations. You can't say we need to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, and say yes, and this is a COVID-related expense. It's, it's a different disease. It's you know, might be good, might be very worthwhile, but this isn't the sort of thing that you can insist is an emergency. Uh, request or an emergency need, and you can't say that this is, you know, directly related to this. And yet Biden had the audacity to say that everything in this package puts us in a better position to prevail, starting with beating this virus and vaccinating the country. I'm sorry, no, Mr. President, you're, this is, that's not what this bill is. There's a ton of extraneous stuff in there and it, a whole bunch of stuff in there that should have been done through the regular appropriations process. Back to Manchin. Um, now, if you want to get mad at Manchin for completely going back on his word, fine. I mean, if you want to say, I will keep the filibuster so that it now exists as a temporary way of slowing down legislation, but is no longer a way of stopping legislation, well, that's a really big fundamental difference. And I think we can safely say, okay, so you want to you want to keep a device that's called the filibuster, but what you want it to do is going to change completely, and that's going to completely empower them. Because you know, if it turns into just a Jimmy Stewart talkathon. Well, Chuck Schumer is not going to worry about that because sooner or later the Republicans will have to give up on it. The minority party. And once you make the, the, the once you change make this kind of a change to make the filibuster quote unquote more painful, and it no longer becomes this way of delaying legislation in you know indefinitely you know for further notice until you can get more than until you can get those sixty votes together. At that point, it then becomes a point where the filibuster really is this purely symbolic. Uh, temporarily. I suppose you could have something like, you know, Rand Paul, the one that he did, uh, that, yes, did make the administration change its policy. They made the, the Obama administration made the giant concession that they would not drone strike and kill an American citizen without trial, without any warning. 
on American soil. All of those caveats were in place. That, that's all Rand Paul wanted. And after like eight hours or whatever it was, they finally gave it to him. Um, this would really disempower the minority. And this, I think, is a complete betrayal of everything that Manchin did and said. Uh, but then again, I've always known that he was a big spending Democrat. He may not have been on board with all the culture war stuff, the gun stuff, coal stuff, abortion stuff. But uh, when it comes to spending money, Joe Manchin's on board with just about everything the Democrats have in mind. So it's, it's not exactly that shocking that he would go wobbly here. And I think Manchin's going to des- you know, deserve all the anger coming his way. But you know who really could have uh, helped prevent this unfortunate scenario from coming to pass, Greg? Georgia Republican voters? Yes. You want to show up in those runoffs? You know, that's the moment we lost those two runoffs. Something akin to this was more or less inevitable. So way to go, guys. Way to go. Thanks. Thank you, Sidney Powell. Thank you, Linwood. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Very winnable races. A couple of quick follow-ups here, Jim, on the media handling of this. First of all, did you notice that uh, Kirsten Cinema's thumb down on the $15 minimum wage did not quite get the same uh, dramatic coverage as John McCain's thumbs down on the repeal of Obamacare? <laughs> Uh, a little bit different coverage from the mainstream media, I would say. And then uh, yesterday in that interview on Meet the Press, here's Chuck Todd setting the stage for the filibuster discussion. See if you can just get a hint of which way he stands on this issue. Here's a couple different clips. Well, Senator, the filibuster was never uh, an idea of the founding fathers. That is a Senate rule that was created by senators later. In fairness, it's not a founding father idea. And this. What you're saying is if Republicans continue to be unified in opposition and don't have an open mind, then you may change your mind. Oh, Jim, I don't remember hearing all this when the Republicans narrowly controlled the Senate the last couple cycles. Mm. Yeah, I also don't remember them calling it a Jim Crow relic back when they were squashing uh, Tim Scott's uh, police reform bill. Funny, funny how that came out. Yeah, yeah I got to point out, though, Greg, the only thing that I care about less than how Kirsten Cinema gave the thumbs down to a particular piece of amendment or idea is the British royal family. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they're not any of our martinis today. Listen, sir, our forefathers fought a revolution so that we wouldn't have to care about the British royal family. Amen, brother. Amen. Just rest easy. Perhaps under my pillow. So, did you know that my pillow is about more than just a fantastic pillow? Because now they're giving the same attention they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. In fact, right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all six piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They have a 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton. They have the sateen weave, giving them a luxurious finish. Also a 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantees, washable and dryable, and wide varieties of colors and sizes. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets. Buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dreams bed sheets. Great sheets. All right, let's talk about our, I don't know if this is crazy or bad or concerning or what it is, Jim, but... uh, they say defense wins championships, but I'm not sure defense wins a lot of majorities when it comes to the, the House and the Senate. The Republicans are playing a ton of defense in 2022 because they had a good 2016. Uh, we know Pat Toomey's retiring in Pennsylvania. That's going to be tough. Rob Portman is retiring in Ohio, making that seat 
uh, tougher to win. Looks like Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is leaning towards retirement. That's going to be tough. We'll see what Chuck Grassley does in Iowa. He would be 89 if he ran for, uh, I believe that would be an eighth term. Florida could be uh, tough for Rubio. We don't know for sure yet. A uh, couple of opportunities for the Republicans in Georgia because Warnock has to run again. Maybe Arizona with Mark Kelly. We'll see about that. But now uh, Roy Blunt is uh, announcing he will not be running for re-election as a U.S. senator from Missouri. Uh, two terms there after several terms in the House before that. Uh Missouri has trended far more red than it did uh, a generation ago, Jim. That used to be a key battleground state. Now Republicans do pretty well there statewide. Uh, but uh, with all the controversies that have happened lately with Josh Hawley and certainly before that with Governor Greitens, uh, it could be more of a battlefield than we thought before. But uh, in an open seat, you're probably going to have to spend more resources even on an open seat. And that means fewer resources for the uh, uh, other battleground states. So uh, while it's certainly likely that Republicans will hold the seat, it does make the overall job a little harder. Yeah, look, you know, this is not quite a you don't quite hear the ominous music with this one, as you might hear with Ohio or Pennsylvania. But and, and, you know, by and large, the state of Missouri has been trending pretty darn Republican in recent cycles. But, you know, we saw with the Todd Aiken against Claire McCaskill, if you nominate the wrong guy, you can lose a Senate race in Missouri. As we saw in Alabama, if you nominate the wrong guy, you can lose a Senate race in a state that seems pretty deeply red. So you don't want to take it for granted. Um, I'm not particularly thrilled by the rumor that uh, Eric Greitens, the, the former governor who retired in a really eye-popping scandal, uh, you know, is, is apparently among those who are contemplating it. The wrong Republican nominee could cost them this. Um, and, and I guess the other indicator that's, that's kind of bad about this is that Roy Blunt, maybe you've maybe heard about him, maybe you haven't. He kind of fits in that workhorse, not a show horse style uh, that I think you'd put Rob Portman into. I think you'd put T Pat Toomey into. Now, for some of these guys, it's like, eh, I'm in the minority of the Senate now. I don't get as much done. I don't get as much of what I want uh, passed into legislation. It's, you know, not particularly interesting to spend years of my life voting no against things. Yeah, you know, that's that's a consequence of this. Uh, Red Blunt is also getting up there in years, and it's understandable he might want to do other things with his life, but he wasn't really on the uh, likely to retire list. So this is something of a, of a surprise to Republicans. It does complicate the map some. And again, I, I you know, you're a, a good, effective Senate caucus will have a good share of your show horses who are really good at going on TV and stirring up the crowd and getting people fired up. And it's going to important need to have its share of workhouses who care about the details of policy and can put together good pieces of legislation, who can figure out how to uh, make government work the best and to steer it into a conservative direction. So Roy Blunt, you're going to be missed, I, I think. I fear that the effectiveness of a Republican senator is becoming increasingly associated with how many hits on Fox News he makes. And I think there's more measurements to the, than that for the effectiveness of the senator. I hope the Republican Party isn't just replacing it all with the Fox News green room. So we'll see how these things shake out. But, uh, you know, just one more complication in a Senate map for 2022 that was not that uh, not looking that great before, and now looks even a little more complicated. Yeah, watch the next month or two. It's uh, like we said, it's becoming an increasingly uh, reliable Republican state. And with the baggage that Greitens brings into this, if in fact he does run, uh, you're probably going to get a pretty crowded field. And I think they're going to get a pretty crowded field whether he runs or not, unless there's some figure in state politics that I don't know well uh, who could perhaps clear the field. But uh, I expect a pretty robust primary there. We'll see.
Jim, busy, busy Monday here. We'll see what the rest of the week holds in store. Talk to you tomorrow. Oh, it's Monday. See you tomorrow, Greg. (laughs) Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're always very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We're also available on those home devices, even though the government's probably spying on you. Just kidding, maybe. Uh, All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.